Welcome back, everybody. This is the Holistic OB-GYN. I'm Nathan Riley, your guest. Before we get started, I'm going to put my disclaimer in the beginning of the show this time around. This is a 501c3. This is edutainment, should not be considered medical advice, anything you hear in the show, in any episode. Um, I am a physician. I'm an OBGYN by training. I did fellowship training in hospice and palliative medicine, and I've got a whole bunch of lifestyle medicine practice for everything in between especially as it pertains to women's health. And I'm bringing on a special voice today, Stella Eisenstein, married to no stranger to this audience, Charles Eisenstein. Stella is traditionally trained as a Chinese medicine doctor, but her license has kind of come up into question because of issues with state licensing and the vaccine and all this other stuff. And that's not a problem for her. Because through her own healing journey through breast cancer and whatnot, she has found some other healing modalities that she believes in even more greatly than traditional Chinese medicine. So she is a body worker, an energy worker. She got her start in energy work through integrative manual processing, integrative manual therapy, excuse me. And that has evolved into an even deeper, more profound practice that she calls resonant attention. And I've undergone her therapy on her table and there is something magical that happens there and it's really a matter of paying attention to the tissues paying attention to the person that we're here to serve and getting out of the way of the body's own healing capacities she's a magical woman i consider her a good friend and i am so delighted to bring you my conversation with stella eisenstein let's get to it Morning, Stella. Stella Osohoros Eisenstein. It's great to have you on the show today. Thanks for taking Thank out some you. time. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> that was the most creative um, vocalization of my middle or second last oh, name Oso, that I've ever heard. Osorojos. <laughs> Oso I'm sorry. I, uh, I mixed up my. Uh, <laughs> I, okay. I, I put emphasis. It's on the way better than a lot of people do. <laughs> Osorojos. I just go with Osorojos, don't you know? No. <laughs> Eating fajitas over there with Stella <laughs> <Right>. Osorojos. <laughs> I know, because you've got the Spanish down with your wife. I do, and I, I feel now embarrassed <laughs> that I mispronounced Red Bear. So. <laughs> well, it has that very confusing S on the end. I know. So. What's, that, what's that Red's Bear? That is know? actually like a numerology. That's my geeky numerology side showing. Yeah, my, my father was like, that looks idiotic. <laughs> <laughs> Like, sorry, Dad. It's sorry, just Dad. Me. I, I can't be happy with one. I gotta have two red, two red of the same bear. Right, uh, two uh, reds, one bear. Two reds, one bear. Well, we could just call you Osorojo, and there's just happens to be two of you numerologically. We'll just we'll just imagine that there's they're like the mirror images. They're the, the it's twins. a three thing. Yeah, it's just a three thing. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, Stella, you and I have not known each other very long, but uh, I feel like we're kindred spirits. You do some incredible. Um, You've got some incredible healing practices, and that's why I wanted to have you come on the show because this the, this show, the Holistic OBGYN, is really, you know, we've we've both got these toolkits. You know, in your case, you know, you're trained as a traditional Chinese medicine doctor. I'm trained as an allopathic doctor, but we're both doing a lot of healing without even getting into those toolboxes sometimes, which is yeah. I think is kind of an interesting paradigm shift that needs to happen within the world of 
healers, right? Like you've got your one thing, but sometimes your one thing isn't the right tool for every job. That's what we do in surgery. Everything looks like a nail if you're carrying a hammer around. So, mm. so, um, yeah, go ahead. Any, any yeah, I was that? just going to say that I, you know, I don't even, I mean, I guess I have one tool. I, what I feel like I have is, um, many tools that I've stripped down to one apparent truth, um, mm. about healing. And that's, you know, kind of what we were talking about before is what I've ca been calling resonant attention. So I learned acupuncture. I learned integrative manual therapy. I learned orthobionomy. I learned depth hypnosis. I trained a little bit with the Altamisoic shamans in Peru. But what I realized through all of that was that there's something that we're doing that we're kind of not talking about and that that seems to be the root of all healing. And then I discovered, you know, the work of Peter Levine, Waking the Tiger, all yeah. that trauma stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, there's a pattern that is resonant seemingly across these disciplines. Um, you know, this, so his work is really like, how do you resolve trauma? And it's a very, really simple, um, um, uh, dissection. I think he's made when he, when he says, um, you know, first you identify and recreate the trauma, then you uh, renegotiate it in a safe context, and then you allow for the heal the resolution phase. And hmm. yeah, so super super simple. Yeah. And you know, he gives in his book the this really basic um, uh, pattern for it when he talks about how a mother handles a child being ill. So, you know, the mother really just gets down and says, oh, you got hurt. I see that you got hurt. And the child clicks in with that attention and, and then often will cry or, yeah, I got hurt. Yeah. Like okay. the, you know, and then, That's uh, you just described my entire life. <laughs> right, right now. Right, now. Like... <laughs> <laughs> right. But that, that like, you can see, you can see how that very basic pattern is encoded through everything that you do, right? Mm. So in IMT, you know, IMT actually gets super specific with it. So maybe that's, I'm going to put that on the back burner for a minute. But, you know, any healing that you do, you go, as, a do, as an allopathic doctor, you go in and you say, if you're, if you're a healer and not, you know, an, an applier of, or a drug pusher or whatever. Yeah, right. But, but even drugs have the same model, right? So, you you know, you say, okay, this is, I, I see what's happening. Here's a solution. I'm going to, I'm going to hold space while you do this solution or you take this solution. And then, you know, the person heals, right? Mm. Placebo, right? You, right. you, you identify the pattern, you hold space for the healing and the person heals. Right. Right, right. With or without the added ingredient, which could be a drug, it could be a physical touch. Well, the added ingredient is attention. Whether yeah. that mm. attention is a, is encoded in a drug, or is encoded in a surgery, or a manipulation, or what whatever, right? Like that. That's attention because we're talking about the field. We're not talking. We get really bollocks up, but we're, this is all an informational field that we are right. we are in. So wh whether it looks like a pill. Or it looks like my hand's touching your body, you know, or it looks like you're just holding somebody's hand. Like it doesn't, that's all attention. It's just mm. different in different ways. But, but I don't know how helpful it is always to simplify it that much because I think it starts to feel like water. Like right. we can't actually hold on to this thing, you know, if we right. take it down so low. But yeah, I do, 
I do now teach uh, what I'm calling resonant attention, which is very body work um, based, but um, and very very much uh, um, informed by integrative manual therapy, which is developed by a woman called Sharon G. Mateo. But it, um, um, it, you know, is really just about finding with specificity whatever the issue is holding space for it and letting the person resolve it themselves. And there are different ways to talk about like what might actually be happening there, which we could get into. Um, but well, here, let's, yeah. let's take a step back real quick. Let, let's talk. So I, I actually want you to, to, to really get into the resonant attention because I've experienced this myself and, you know, in your studio, you've got your acupuncture needles, you've got some herbs, you've got some Chinese medicines, you've got all those things. And we kind of walked right past that. We laid down on the table and and you practice resident attention. So I do want to get into that. So let's put a pin in that for one second, because everything you're describing um, actually is what initially drew me to you, because you weren't talking about has as having the tool. And when I say the tool or the magic ingredient, I'm actually, I'm saying that tongue in cheek, because it's like, hey, if I've got a scalpel, then I can fix things. If I've got these drugs, then I can fix your problem or whatever. But what you're saying is that regardless of the tools, it's actually the intention behind how you, Im you know, implement these tools or how you interact with this energetic field of energy and emotion. Um, and that's actually where the healing comes from. So regardless of the tool, you're actually saying, hey, we all are actually using the same tool. It's just a matter yeah. of how you're implementing it. So when I first met you, we were... Um, or ritualizing it. Or, or ritualizing. I, I, yeah. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. So when I first came across you, I had no idea who you were. Like, I just was focused on Osoros, I guess. Yeah. I missed your name, but it was through Charles's community online, his for the forum that Patsy helped him create, the, the New and Ancient Story. And I just happened to stumble upon your profile, and you had said in your bio that you're, you're, you're I, I don't know how it's worded, but you said, you, you know, you're sort of out there reskilling medicine. So... Tell me about that. Tell me, like, what, what does that mean to you? And why, after all of this school and investing so much of your life into learning healing, the healing arts, like, what does that term mean to you? And why is it important today? Um, <clears throat> yeah, actually, I first realized that I was most, most, I guess, um, I guess, actually, we could rewind it even more. I come from a family of doctors. My dad and my grandfather and my brother are all doctors. And um, <laughs> just imagining what Thanksgiving dinner must be like whenever your doctor family is like, so Stella, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my dad was not happy when I first decided I was going to go to acupuncture school, <laughs> I'm Sure, yeah, How confronting. <laughs> but he's come around. Yeah. Yeah. He's come around brilliantly. Actually, I have to say my, I'm really proud of my parents, yeah. especially through this time. Um, but yeah, so I intended to be a doctor. And then when I got to college, I was like, hold on a second. I've never actually met a doctor aside from my dad and my grandparent, my grandfather, who I actually like or respect. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that's problematic. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and what, and I, then I went to acupuncture. Eventually I went to, I went, worked in magazines for a while and then I went to acupuncture school and I, I still sort of had a problem. And, and I, with the whole model of somebody comes to you for healing somebody comes to you for like you're supposed to fix people and that feels deeply encoded in my dna for some reason and i'm not entirely sure why hmm. but but there's an ethical piece it feels like there's some ethical piece that i just feel really super uncomfortable with 
I think that I can't heal people. You know, I think that people can heal themselves. Mm. I think that we are all capable of it. And not only that, but we have a responsibility to heal ourselves. Um, Mm. In this, yeah, like in the sense of like, not that, not that the dyadic, like the healing dyad isn't important sometimes, or not that we can't reach out for help. But that ultimately, like you have to make the decision in your own body, like, do I want, am I going to be healthy or am I going to be well? Mm -hmm. And if you don't make that choice, then you never, you never get there. You just kind of grab at other people to fix you all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It just really bugs me. Well, it's very empowering, but, really, what you just said. I mean, it, it, and, and you're, you're not saying, hey, here's the, the, the key to immortality. You're saying, hey, listen, if there is something that's off with the flow of energy and information in your field as it sort of interacts with fields around it or in the field, capital T-H-E field, um, that you have everything you need right there. And We uh, have everything we need, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And, and, and actually I did have a dream when I was about, when I was 18, I was just becoming an adult and I had this dream and I, the dream essentially, I wrote about it in my memoir, my first book. Um, the dream was me having a bag and the bag had everything I needed in it. And I knew that I was resourced in that way. I do, I do feel like we're all resourced in that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that gets into metaphysics at a really basic level. I think that we are here to have an experience of our divinity. Right, and, right, exactly. Yeah. You know, so therefore we have what we need to heal ourselves. Yeah. So supporting um supporting that type of medicine has always been really true for me. When I I went through cancer twice and the second time um I thought I was going to die and I thought, well, what am I here for? I thought I wasn't going to be able to have a child and I thought I was going to die. And I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to live, I kind of need a reason to be here aside from having a child. And I decided that it would be that I would dedicate my life to reskilling medicine, to mm. just trying to convince people that they actually have what they need. They don't need to go to doctors. They can do it all themselves. You know, like yeah. not that they shouldn't go to doctors because sometimes that's exactly what they need, but, but they have everything that you need. Yeah. Right. Um, right. anyway, so I, um, along the way, just sort of perceived this really basic pattern of healing that seems important to transmit to, to people at this time, because obviously we're in a crisis now about what medicine is, what our responsibilities are to other people, um, you know, all of like what death is, what healing is, all of this is up for many people. People are questioning medicine at the very basic level. People are questioning what is a virus, you know, like what is the, what is just every, you know, just everything. And so, yeah, my contribution, I hope is that, um, I can, um, take some of the helplessness out of it for people or, you know, help people remember that they don't have to be helpless in this realm. Mm. So let me let me ask you a little bit about your cancer because I've read your your new book is not out yet, right? No, and it's going to be. I'm serializing it on my Substack. Oh, right on. Okay, I'm not. I I, th- I may in a couple of years um, make it available as a hard like an actual hard copy copy thing. But yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, 
I read I read your manuscript and I loved it. I was like, I have got to know this person better. And and um, like I kind of fell in love with you when I was reading your book because it was so personal, but it was also like speaking a language that I was ready to hear as a physician mm. myself. You know, and 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 what I'm not saying is that I've discarded all of my allopathic tools, but I have. Hallelujah. We need people. We need you. (laughs) Right. Like there are still reasons for me to know how to do surgery and how to prescribe medicines and how to do some physical, you know, diagnosis and, and maybe some manipulation and stuff like that. You know, that's all really important. But the, the, the reality was that I have found that my tools only get me so far. And if a person's not willing to heal, then, oh yeah. Then I, my tools are useless, and that's not to say that hey, you got to go find somebody else. It's that hey, you need to realize that this is just a support for your body. And, and, and I had a I had an insight into that just this morning with somebody on the table, um, yeah. which I'll share with you because it Please. touches on a lot of different things. But um, I basically have this. I, I received this new uh, way of understanding what I do recently through Wenzel. McGowan's book, um, the the latent sequence of truth, gorgeous book, gorgeous title. The latent sequence uh, of truth. The latent sequence of truth. Beautiful title. Dang. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. I know. And he's an epic guy. Um, but anyway, he he suggested because he was talking about what the healing that happens during vipassana vipassana meditation, and he he described pretty well what I'm talking about is resonant attention. Mm. Um, and I mean, a resonant attention, I would argue probably, you know, incorporates a lot more body work, um, modes. Um, but we'll, anyway, we'll get into the details of that. Cause I, I do yeah. dig into that a little bit. Um, so he made the suggestion that possibly what happens is that when you are able to hold witness consciousness, on an area, you basically empower that area Mm -hmm. to do its own work, to heal itself. So another way to say that is borrowing the um, holocratic model or the holacracy model, you know, that is looking at business, but is I think applicable here because what what happened, what they're talking about is like you basically disempower the hierarchical structure in favor, favor of local structures. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I think it's pertinent. So, um, so when you essentially hold attention in the tissues, then those tissues can do what they know how to do best because they're right there. They know what they need. They know how to do it. They know where, what they need is. They, they, they're just, you just empower them to do that. And so then I was thinking like, well, what happens when I had this person on the table today? And I was like, well, you know, if you are um, resisting the uh, healing in any way, like we talk about that as like belief or resistance. And it's like some issue with, you know, your psyche, or maybe there's an issue with the whole paradigm where you have to believe. And But I was thinking about it this morning as simply of course, you haven't actually empowered the local tissue. Mm. If you have resistance or you have disbelief or you have, you don't just allow that the tissue could heal, you're essentially holding back some of your support for that tissue to be autonomous. Right, right, right. So, So in this person, it was like, you know, he's got a bunch of problems with his teeth and his neck. And, and I noticed that 
you know, we're working on the level of bone. We're holding attention at the level of bone. And I could feel the bone remineralizing underneath my fingers. Now, whether or not it actually was, I don't know, but that's what it felt like to me. And that is epic, right? Mm -hmm. Like we don't, we don't imagine that bone can heal in an instant. Right. But the not healing, (laughs) the not believing that bone can heal in an instant is essentially saying you can't heal. Right. 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 And the tissues know that. The bone knows that. So then it doesn't heal because it's getting the directive, top-down directive, you can't heal. Mm. Everything else maybe can, but that can't. Mm. But this guy was open enough to allow that, yeah, maybe actually bone can heal or at least get out of the way and trust something, Mm. trust the process or whatever. And anyway, to me, it felt like the bone was, was remodeling underneath my fingers. Epic. So, so what you're <laughs> describing is resonance attention, but when I was reading your book and you were talking about applying some of, um, Sharon Giamatta, Giamatteo's techniques through IMT, that, that was actually, you were actually using resonant attention within the framework of IMT. Can you, de- That's right. can you describe like your journey with, you had breast cancer, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Can you just describe your journey? Like you went to a doctor, I'm sure at some point and they were like, you've got this cancer or no, like how did you even get diagnosed? <laughs> well... Um, I didn't, <clears throat> which I talked about in the book, but, um, basically I, well, <laughs> if I did get diagnosed, it happened at this party and this, you know, palm reader was there and she looked at my palm and she was like, cancer. Awesome. <laughs> I like, I, I know. And I was like, Great oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I know. But she was actually right. I think, um, I then went, so actually the, I went to IMT because I had a miscarriage and I just wasn't feeling that well. I was dragging. It was weeks later and I just wasn't. And Sharon came running out of the back room going, you have to do left breast to all process centers. You have to do left. And I was like, well, there's nothing, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with my breast. Like, what, what are you talking about, crazy lady? <laughs> and she, um, but you know, I just did it because she told me to. I did left, I put one hand on my left breast and the other hand on all my other process centers. I spent probably two weeks. I didn't have my license. I was just lying around Charles's house processing my body for weeks. And then I had this dream about um, us being in the Civil War, basically uncovered some trauma possibly from a past life. And when I, I realized when I woke up that if that is indeed true, and I'm willing to actually hold that these are metaphoric, but there's a lot of evidence for past lives. So I, that's all equally valid to me. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, when I, I went to the bathroom immediately after we, I re, I woke up, I realized, oh my God, I shot myself in the breast in that lifetime. And now, and then I went to the toilet and this huge chunk of uterine lining came out. So it was really interesting and impactful. And then I started getting breast exudate pain. Um, you know, just, I had signs of cancer. I was fatigued. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, you know, dimpling, like it was like, wow, what's happening. And I went to Sharon, I was like, what do you, what, okay. What happened? I had this dream, the thing came out, you know, now I'm having these signs of breast cancer. And she was like, oh, don't worry about it. It's just 17 layers. And I was like, what? You are a mad woman. (laughs) What are you even talking about? (laughs) But she, pretty much i mean in a couple of weeks i was fine no signs or symptoms of anything i went on and had a baby 
And then three years after, so I, then I breastfed for three years. And when I stopped breastfeeding, I had another instance of breast cancer. And there's, I talk it more in the book about another paradigm that might be intersecting there and other issues. I think breast cancer is very often related to shocks or traumas are, having are to do with our children. Are you referring to German new medicine by any chance? Yeah. German new medicine. Your, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Fascinating stuff. You know, there, that too. just, an, I know that's another I mean, an hour of, of podcasting. I know. <laughs> and it doesn't, and you know, like I think all of these paradigms and all of these stories that we make out of it are all equally valid and useful to the extent that they are clinically like helpful. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. ultimately. Um, but anyway, yeah, then I, so the second time it came around, like I, I was sick, you know, I, I, my ankles were swollen and gray. My liver stopped working. Like I was. You were backed up. Yeah. I, you know, and my breast was all knotty and it was gross. And I just did, I did IMT for it. And there's, IMT is an amazing modality that has all kinds of energetic fixes that are just next level. Mm. And I think one of the ones that you're talking about is this motilities. They, they, they've basically found a way to talk about what, um, what different, patterns of disease feel like in the body, or I would argue they've found a way to describe what, um, what the informational field of a disease or a disease pattern, um, how you can identify the informational field. And when you can identify it, then you can hold resonant attention there. So they don't talk about holding resonant attention. They talk about doing resistance therapy to it. Mm -hmm. But there's a piece, there's a really important piece that they really don't touch that I think is true, whether you're working in IMT, you're working with craniosacral therapy, you know, you're doing Alexander technique, there's this felt sense, there's this mode that healers pick up of working with the felt sense, which is, and intuition, that is I think about perceiving informational fields and, and beings in the, in the field. So, you know, that's, I think it's useful to bring medicine, to bring the talk, any conversations we might be having around medicine into um, the quantum reality that Mm -hmm. we are existing in, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and allowing increasingly. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes back for me all the way to, you know, childhood. I remember learning about E equals MC square and asking my teacher, what are the implications of that? Mm. And, you know, I think he said that, well, that will be up for you all to decide, you know, to figure out because we have no idea. And, and we know, (laughs) you know, we know we're increasingly learning in, in physical, you know, in physics, but, and then also in uh, medical research, like there are researchers, there are medical researchers out there doing really amazing work, um, asking questions about medicine that imply, um, a different understanding about the, the prima materia of, of medicine, of our experience here. And they're really not allowed or talked about on a, on a, you know, 
certainly not in the mainstream media, but, but like even in, in this... the medical literature, you would be kind of you'd, you'd be laughed out of town if you were talking about that's right using the word <clears throat> quantum, right? Or if you were talking that's right. about energy fields or whatever else. I mean, if it's not yep. measurable, Stella, it can't be real. But the thing is, is it is measurable. Have you encountered the William Bankston's work? I haven't. No. Holy shit! Not, not heart math guy, is it? No, William Bankston is this guy who started researching breast cancer. And he had this healer that he was going to, he got MIT or Princeton. He got Princeton to do research on this guy. And the guy bowed out the night before the research was going to take place. And so Bill Bankston gets, just jumps in and does the study himself. He's kind of learned what this guy does, which is basically holding resonant attention Hmm. around these mice. And then they start healing them. So these mice, in every other research study ever done on these mice, they're like BRCA mice or something like that. And they he they live to 28 days. Well, his mice were alive at 28 days, but they still had cancer, and the cancer seemed to be getting worse. Hmm. But they were still alive and kind of moving around like healthy animals, whereas the, the control mice were definitely dying. Yeah. And 29 days, 30 days, his mice go on basically to express the cancer. And then go on to live full, healthy lives. Wow. So this should be front page news. Right, right. My father, you know, I told the, I told my dad about this, this research. And he was like, come on. That would be front page news. They would be blaring that everywhere if we had, the, if we had a clue about how cancer could be healed. Nope. Yeah. And so, and then he's gone on to like do these crazy studies where you're putting like one, con- you, you, you know, you, there's like a, there's the the mice you're working on. Then there's mice in another building, but the researchers kind of link the groups just by going in and observing the other mice, and those mice also heal. So let me jump in here real quick, because when I said it's something isn't measurable, the, what I was referring to is if we, in, in, the, in the contemporary view of healing, right, the acceptable things to publish in the New England Journal of Medicine or on the front page of the New York Times about spontaneous healing or cancer treatment or you you know you name it vaccines or whatever we don't like publishing outcomes good or bad if we don't understand the mechanism as to how that outcome was achieved so i've even introduced tarot into my life and I'll, i'll i'll i have a friend who's a physician i sent him a tarot card i was like man, can you believe I pulled this card today? Like, the universe is so wacky. And he said, what's, and he didn't even respond. He wasn't excited. He wasn't like quite, he didn't think about it. He just said, well, what's the mechanism of Tarot? And I might, I might be putting my own little like kind of cynical twist on the the paraphrasing, but, but, but the, the point being that like, I wasn't achieving anything with this Tarot card. I was just saying, Hey, look at this interesting thing that came up and I'm working on this stuff. And it just, like, I'm just finding these connections. And for him, he doesn't see a validity to this technology because he doesn't understand the mechanism. So very much like Bill Bankston's work, he has this great outcome and the outcome alone should be, it should trigger a lot of inquiry and like a whole bunch of research should, researchers should be about facing like what, but that's not what happens instead, since we don't have a mechanism, I don't know if I can really believe the outcome, which is, antithetical to science, if you ask me, right? Um, if you're getting these good results, why wouldn't that prompt further investigation into some new technology? Whether or not you understand the mechanism, here's the outcome, period. And, and that should be enough. But but um, but in our current framework, that's not how 
That's not how it works. We need to we need to think we understand the mechanism before we're even willing to accept that. There yeah, and then you know the the elephant in the room on that topic is placebo. Yeah, you know, like why 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 is it talked about as just being placebo, right. or why does that invalidate things? Right, right. Yeah, it, it, it's um, so even in like the way that we design a a you know highly funded NIH study that compares a drug against placebo when you look at the data and you actually look very carefully it might say that there's a statistically st significant difference between how this group the treatment group versus the control group responded but there's actually a proportion of both groups that got better perhaps through the intention of the treatment team or the mm. intention the setting the set the set of the of the person going in with the disease process or whatever else but we don't talk about that we just say oh it did better than just that dumb old placebo but there's yeah. maybe you know out of 100 people there might be 25 people in that control group who didn't get any treatment who actually got better so why like why yeah. why did that happen um and that's yeah, where your work comes yeah. into play i think it kind of folds in there beautifully well, I mean, <clears throat> I don't, I'm a hands-on girl, you know, like I, I, Charles likes to say that all my intelligence is in my hands <laughs> and not always that kindly, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's true, you know, like the, I mean, I think I'm an artist first and, and an artist in the sense of, you know, I have no idea, I'm just pulling things together and I have no idea why. Maybe I'll make a pillow, you know, maybe I'll make a swimming pool. Like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, hmm. but especially for healing, you know, that is an incredibly useful tool and really not at all like logic. Yeah. It's almost like I'm, I almost never tra traverse or I never pick up those tools. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for healing, it's especially helpful because everybody is different. Or this is what I've come to understand anyway about medicine is that, because, you know, it's been however many years that I've been seeing patients. How many follow the same patterns? Like on a really basic level, I see some of the same patterns. Um, like I'll notice that the body has the strategy for sequestering detritus in the, in the joints, mm -hmm. you know. Or we'll notice like, oh, yeah, mercury kind of gets stuck in that right femur bone a lot. Like there are some basic patterns. But... Um, healing involves getting so deeply, really truly healing somebody gets so deeply involved in what that person's individual story is. That's exactly what I, that's, ex you're, you're like pulling language out of me. Yes, that's exactly right. That it's impossible. Mm. It's almost as if there is no such thing as common out. Like we're not even all human, you know, it's like we're all nexuses of myriad mm. energies. Mm -hmm. That's it. Right. Other than that, right. <laughs> yeah. you know, cause I mean, just, uh, just to share a few little anecdotes about my treatments, you know, like I had somebody in that came in who was energetically representing in their day with like this metal contraption attached to her body, right? I had somebody coming in the other day that was, um, that had, um, you know, a blood clot on the inside of her spinal column. Jeez. 
right? Which I, I've never seen before. Um, you know, I had, I mean, it's just like, it's just like everything that goes into making up dis- disease. Like it, it's all of these individualized vectors that have to do with, that have to do somewhat with diet, somewhat with, with, you know, uh, DNA or whatever you've received from your parents. Um, some, but a lot of it has to do with story. A lot of it has to do with past life traumas that we don't know anything about. A lot of it has to do with trauma in this life. You know, a lot of it, I mean, it's just like, it's impossible. And then I find that illuminating to, to then like try to look back and see like, well, what is medicine through time? Mm. You know, or like you add the component of time into what medicine what healing is and you've just blown out of the water, like all possibility for standardization. <laughs> right? <laughs> because like, you know, some, my teacher, one of my, t- uh, my acupuncture training, um, was, um, very much in the vein of Jeffrey Ewan. He's this 88th generation Taoist priest and, and Yvonne Farrell. He's the one in Asheville that you, I think had mentioned. He is, he teaches, he oversees the, the master's program in Asheville. He lives in New York actually. And you can take his, um, you can do trainings with him and not be an acupuncturist too. Like he'll train people as he, as herbalists. Really cool. His, he'll do I stone. Totally he, do. I should totally. Get yeah. With him yeah. While he's still here. <laughs> yeah. Or do the stone medicine stuff with him. Cause some of those stuff, anyway, he's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. He was healing. He was, his practice, he gave up needles at some point because his practice started centering on using essential oils, which are arguably the jing of the plant. So the, the vital essence of the plant to heal children with developmental difficulties. So their an issue with their jing, um, correcting that, that, correcting that issue with the jing of the plant Mm. at an early stage. And then, you know, essentially like reversing what we would, what would have gone on to be, you know, just like we would say, uh, this DNA, we can't do anything about it. Right, 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 right. Um, anyway, amazing guy. And I lost my thread in going on that tangent. Well, you were talking about acupuncture. You were talking about when you were studying acupuncture and then, and then you were talking about how Jeffrey Nguyen actually, he left needling and he actually went towards Jing. He actually started working with the, actually the energetics of plants and probably achieving the same results. I I thought that's where you were going with it, but, um, um, no, I was gonna, I was going, I was going to say something about acupuncture but anyway, yeah. And then I got kind of lost in the tangent. Although we could pick up the 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 thing about Jing and plants. So, and just to illuminate resonant attention a little bit more. Well, Stella, before um, you do, when you when you were going through your your breast cancer scare, um, yeah, you were actually doing hands on manual processing, and you were yeah. applying resonant attention. Is that is that how you would describe that? Can you just tell people like what that experience was like? Because there was a lot of phlegm, there was a lot of physicality to it as the outcome to what other people would say. What do you mean you were just doing that and you actually had all these physical things? Like I found that to be a really impressive part of the story. Just tell me about, you know, in like the elevator speech, like what was it like <coughs> to be treating your cancer with IMT? 
or not treating your cancer. That's probably not even the right word. But you were, I you were you were um, localizing the cancer, and you were holding space so, for it. <laughs> yeah, um, I I would say that I actually did not treat it with IMT. Um, first of all, I, I would. I mean, I think the RMT people would argue that they don't treat cancer, that they just support the body mm, yeah. to heal. Um, and I didn't, I wasn't actually able to get much IMT treatment during that time. I just didn't have the, the practitioners are all booked months out and it's hard to get treatments, you know, and I just couldn't, I did have some treatment from them, but not as much as I would have liked. I, so I was freaked out actually. The second time around, um, the first time I was just like, ah, I just want to have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> the second time I was like, Oh God, what happens if I die now that I have this baby? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so actually what I did most of the time and most of my treatment, like, like 80% of my treatment was simply doing manual processing on myself. So that is that includes some aspect of resonant attention, but manual processing is basically just put two hands on your body. And you could say that the pressure and the heat from your hands is, um, will increase circulation and in the tissues and, you know, promote the uptake of nutrients and the release of, of toxins. Like, sure, you know, yeah. just putting your hands on your body yeah. will help. Um, the resonant attention piece, which I did do too, is, you know, you put your hands on your body and then you get out of the way. So there's, there's an energetic right. that is really what I think is the root of resonant attention. And, it, and, and that was really hard for me to get to with treating myself. And, and what you learn what I'm teaching with resonant attention is that it's actually really, really hard to get out of the way because we care. We want to get better. We want to heal other people. And so to be able to get out of the way and, and, and let those energetics work, really get out of the way of your tissues and trust that they'll do what they need to do, or they can do what they need to do. You have to actually come to terms with death. Yeah. You have to come to terms with poor outcomes. You have to come to terms with you know, your life going in a way you didn't want it to. Mm. Mm. These are really, really, really hard to decode from our cells, which is, right? Which is, which is actually relinquishing control is really all. Relinquishing control. Really yep. what you're saying. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Trust. Radical trust. Yeah. And to contrast that, I mean, I, I'm going to cheat to keep going, but imagine you go into the oncologist clinic and imagine all of the mechanisms of control that are applied some of which are extremely toxic to all of your body tissues, but, but to damn, well, I'll be damned if we don't try and all of those efforts. <laughs> and not only that, if you have a bad outcome, it is your fault. Right. You, you are on the hook for that. Right. Right. You are on the hook for that. Right. Like if you, we use the term, you failed chemo. We use that in medicine, right? right? She failed first line chemo. Right. She failed chemo. Like it, like the even the subtle language that's threaded into our our language of of contemporary oncology is a pattern of control, you know, and it's on the whole thing, yeah, right, right, the whole thing, and that's not what that's antithetical to healing. Yeah, I agree. Which doesn't mean that you actually can't achieve healing that way, because we are 
we are masterful, you know, beings who, and sometimes, you know, you'll have a patient come and they need, what they really need is for a doctor to stand there and say, I'm going to fix you. Don't That's worry. Right. That's right. Yeah. And I am not against that being what they need. Like that, if that's what works for somebody, hallelujah. But I'm talking about like, what, what is the basic energetic pattern of healing so that we can bring it to consciousness and exploit it for the best possible outcomes, right? Like I, I'm just trying to help here, <laughs> yeah. 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 but I, you know, and it, and it, but I, you know, I allow, I try to allow, and I think that a key to healing is allowing that the best possible outcome is unknowable, you know, that it might be, that it might be not what we want, right? There is hmm. kind of, there's a trust, there's like this deep trust in, um, God you know, Gaia source. So like whatever, yeah. yeah, Like whatever the big energy that moves us is Mm -hmm. the bigger energy that is moving us all collectively, whatever that is, if you can relax back into trust there, you will be taken where you need to go, whatever that is. Right. So this is really, it's really, really challenging, Mm. not just for people coming to doctors, you know, people who pay money to, to doctors to heal them, right? But it's challenging for doctors. How do you, how do you ethically, you know, hold your patient with that kind of allowance? Mm. Like, it's really, mm. Mm. it's really radical. Mm-hmm. When I got on your table, um, you were applying some of the same techniques that you used for let's say breast cancer which you call resonant attention and i want i want to kind of describe for people what this is like as a patient um i you you really kind of just said hey all right you you can hop up on the table now and i was like i didn't know that that's what we were doing let's do it and you kind of you kind of uh, i know that you said a little prayer and then you really kind of just did a body scan and you found a couple little things and i don't know if you actually recall our session but i'll I'll bring one thing up that really came to mind, which was you went right to my right lower quadrant of my abdomen mm. and you said, huh, and you had your hands over top and you were, you were applying the lightest of pressure people. I'm not talking like she was swan diving to, to palpate my liver. She was just pressing with a couple fingers right to the right side of my umbilicus. And you said, huh, there's something here and I've never seen anything quite like this. And what you were describing is perhaps the, I don't know, the, the word you said, it's the um, sort of what you described with IMT, where there's these little figures that kind of come into your consciousness that reflect oh, yeah. various processes. And you said it just, it kind of looked like a little ball and it was like a wriggly something. You, you, and you were, you were throwing out words like, did you, do you have a, possibly have a parasite? And I was like, I've always thought, I don't know, maybe I, I'd have always thought maybe that's a possibility. I walk around barefoot all the time and. Um, I've traveled all over the world to, to, you know, slept in monk's quarters in Burma and I got ringworm. Like I've had all kinds of weird stuff happen to me. So perhaps, I mean, I've had a chronic parasitic infection, but you kept going and you just kind of moved your fingers a little bit to each side and you said, oh, okay, now it's kind of, it's kind of, um, releasing, or, or you said it's kind of resolving, <laughs> like it's unraveling or something. And then 
you know, it, within like 90 seconds, there was this giant gurgles, like my belly became alive and there was like, and you said, okay, okay. I think it's, uh, I think it's good. All right. And then you'd kind of went on to the next spot. And I, that moment stuck with me because number one, you weren't using any language that I could possibly relate to apart from like <laughs> parasite or, or, or a, um, white mass uh wriggly like you were using language but even that language i think probably doesn't quite do justice for what you were experiencing so so that was the experience we you kind of went from head to toe you went down to my knees you're asking about lime you're like okay this feels good you found a little bit of um perhaps like a little bit of early fascial separation maybe an, a hernia you had done some work there um you went up to my head and you you were like oh all i'm picking up is your teeth and i had invisalign in you know and and so there was like this head to toe scan this is a typical session for you, and you've told me that people go in there with incredibly um, debilitating concerns, right? Like they've never felt relief from this problem X, and they leave from your clinic in tears, feeling as if I've never had anybody who's given me any treatment that has really, really helped. So now that I've kind of set the stage, tell me what <coughs> you think. Like, like, what do you think about what you were doing on my abdomen? Like, like, what's really happening there? And you've already kind of gone into this, but, but I, you know, imagine I'm a new patient. How does this work? Like, how, how is this working for me? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think you probably had a parasite. <laughs> Thanks for fixing that. <laughs> Saved me a bunch of, a bunch of ivermectin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, and, you know, it, I mean, you know, like, like, arguably, it was like a little pocket mm -hmm. where the parasites were all hanging out waiting for waiting for a more opportune moment. Right. So, you know, you could take iver ivermectin and it might not, maybe they had strategies, but nothing really has strategies against being seen, mm. right? Like witnessing each other, witness, right. witnessing tends to change people, you know? It's like you can't hide from the field. Like you're, you are the field. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's a little bit like, you know, you're wanting your mom to know what's going on with you. You can't tell her <laughs> for whatever reason. And then, you know, she finds out and there's a lot of relief. I mean, those those parasites don't necessarily want to hang out there. But yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I get people on the table and I just follow whatever their body wants to do. It's this process of trusting the body that will show me um, uh, in the most gentle way what, what, what it needs help with. Mm -hmm. And I just help it by applying a little bit of attention and a lot of allowance. Um, and then the body takes care of itself and then it will show me the next thing and then it will show me the next thing and show me the next thing. Now, my experience on the table is that these things are real and they get healed, right? There's not, like, it's not like, you know, you go and get a massage and your neck feels better for a while and then it comes back. Mm. Um, in my experience on the table, you know, my hernial tear will be healed and then my body moves on to the next thing that needs to be done. So then my hip needs to be realigned, you know, then this hairline fracture in my femur needs to be, you know, healed. Then, you know, then my, uh, you know, tibia and fibula can come into better alignment. Then my whole ankle can be fixed. Like all these, there's a intelligence that the body has 
that it seems to follow leading towards greater wholeness. So, um, you know, I'm just supporting, I'm just really supporting the body to do what it already is doing. And, and I think, you know, this is the value of fasting. If you fasted all of that energy that you would be using to digest your food would then go towards all these projects that your body has that it's, that are just backing up for it. And as we, you know, as we start taking things off of its list, it just moves on to the next thing. I mean, the upshot of my work with IMT 10 years later is I don't have chronic pain anymore. I don't have thyroid disease. You know, I don't have any residual. Sometimes if I have too much dairy, my breast will hurt a little bit, but that's the extent of that. Um, you know, I had a baby at 50, at 42. I could easily have another one now. I have no doubt. And I'd have only not been able to convince my husband of this. <laughs> That's the only reason I haven't. Um, I give him a, and then, a, a write him a strongly worded letter. I wanted to take a quick break here to tell you about our sponsor, Waveblock. They create these great stickers that go on the earbuds that you use to listen to your podcasts all day and your audiobooks and your music. You're out in the yard, you're at the gym, whatever. And you've got these great little Bluetooth devices that are emitting electromagnetic magnetic frequency which you know it's it's low dose but it's radiation that you're receiving to your brain or straight to your brain through your ear holes all day long so the owner of waveluck who he designed this in la where i did my residency training he figured hey why don't we mitigate that emf from these little bluetooth devices and so you can go to waveluck.com and get a pair of these stickers for your earbuds they're also going to be releasing next month december just in time for the holidays stickers that go on the back of your cell phones as well so you know i don't i'm never going to promote that we reverse engineer our society to a more primitivistic way of living because these tools are important but if we're holding them to our heads in our pockets next to our gonads all day long we're getting little bits of radiation and over time that's not all that great so head to waveblock.com Pick up your pair, and you can save 10% by entering the code BELOVED. I don't promote products on my show. No matter how much money they're going to pay me, I don't promote them unless I really believe in the technology. So this is one thing that I think everybody should be looking into and should be very serious about. I met some neurologists in medical school that were like, hell no, we're not going to keep cell phones near our heads all day long. That's crazy. And you shouldn't either. So head to waveblock.com, enter code BELOVED, save 10% on your first pair. Um, support our friends and uh, let's get back to the show. That Charles. He's, he is a bit old, so I do grant him that. But <laughs> anyway, um, you know, and IMT, like you'll see IMTers that have been doing it for 30, their eyes are glowing, you know, like they are vibrantly healthy. And this is possible for everybody. Like we have, we have so much built up just all the little things that we haven't attend, we haven't had the time to attend to over the years. You start going to IMT and you start peeling back all of those. One treatment can be, um, you know, can be profound. People can leave. I've had definitely had people leave, you know, they've, They've gone to everybody for their knee pain, but who's going to figure out 
that the tibia and the fibula are a little bit misaligned. Mm-hmm. Like who's going to figure that out? Right. Maybe somebody who's a specialist, you know, I don't know. I don't, I never found anybody but the IMTers to work on this level. Yeah. And yeah. it's really about following the body and allowing the body to do what it wants to do. Cause I don't have any methods for ascertaining whether or not the tibia and fibula are out of alignment. I just follow what the body tells right. me to do. You know, I, how would I ever be able to figure out that you had parasites or that I didn't even know what your history was with travel, you know, like how would I ever figure that out if I weren't just reading, trusting the body to show me what it needs? Right. I would never know. How would I be able to figure out that that woman has, has, has had some, you know, has constructed some metallic construct to help her deal with her vast trauma? Like I, how would I ever be able to figure that out? Yeah. But Nonetheless, if you just hold attention around that strategy, the body can see it better. And it's almost like it just says, oh, you want to, yeah, good idea. Let's fix that. And then it just does. I mean, you know, I, I feel like what I'm talking about is so beyond the paradigm that we understand as to, as to sound, um, you know, certainly impossible, let alone probably borderline crazy. But I, you know, the, the body can heal. We can heal anything. I I, I have this experience. A lot of my uh, belief and understanding in IMT and resonant attention is that, is that I've had the experiences myself, you know, along the way that have convinced me. So, I woke up from, I'd had an IMT treatment one day and I woke up and I, my back was spasming because I had a 19 degree, 19% curvature and you know, it was, you could see it. It was, it was visible. And, but I woke up one day and my back was spasming and then I went to go kiss Charles in the morning and his head was in a different place. And I was like, hold on a second. I went and measured myself. I was half an inch taller. Okay. So I, wow. Half an inch taller. And my curvature was significantly different, right? So I was freaking out. Like, how is that even possible? How is that even possible? I went to my teacher, Chris Albrecht, brilliant lady in Connecticut. And I was like, look, I'm having a lot of trouble here. Bone takes six weeks to remodel. Even allowing for like all the connective tissue and all the, you know, cushion in there. Come on. Right, right, right. What are you talking about? And she goes... (laughs) Your body is made of light. Your body is made of light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> we are light beings. I, I always tell all of my clients, this is something I picked up from Paul Check in the Czech Institute. He's a has a holistic health coaching program in Southern California. And he's he's a full-blown shaman. The guy has done some incredibly deep work. And mm he will say the same thing. He's like, you, you know, and, and he and I related because I was their OBGYN when they needed a second and when they were, they had their second baby. And, um, for reasons I wouldn't get into, but uh, we've told the story on podcasts and everything. So I'm not like sharing protected patient information and, and whatnot. But, um, when you talk about like, uh, you know, holistic lifestyle coaching or, or whatever term you use, clients will still come to you thinking that you have some sort of prescriptive method for fixing their problem. What, and what I tell everybody, which is a bit of bit, sort of an echo from Paul Check, is that there is nothing I can do to fix your problem. 
Mm. I don't treat disease. And I, I shared with you and I had a chuckle about this when we were in your office. I've never fixed anybody's problems. What I can do is get out of your body's ability to heal itself. Mm-hmm. And that is more profound than just, hey, let's consolidate your supplements. I mean, like, yes, that's all important too. And let's not be eating crappy food and let's not get into car accidents. Let's not text when we drive because that's going to lead to damage, obviously, in our, our corpus. But but what it means on, on an energetic level is that everything, and this goes back to the beginning of our conversation, everything your body needs to heal is there and your body knows what it needs to do. So Lee, mm-hmm. we need to just get out of the way and let it do that yep. thing. But it's our sort of limiting beliefs, perhaps, that absolutely it's our limiting beliefs yep the sort of um that create this friction in that process and just slow it down or even put it in the opposite direction i mean they they create full stops yeah you know i i had a a family member who um and, and and sometimes for really good reasons like sometimes the healing is not what the person is after or what the person needs i mean and i don't have any judgment about that you know like i i think being sick is a really good strategy for getting out of a lot of things our soul does not want us to do. Right. Yeah. Like if this, if the soul's right mission is to do something completely different, getting sick might be the best strategy yeah. right. that you have to get back on track. Right. Right. I don't right. have judgment about this. Right. And and so a story that I could share about that is, um, there was a, a close a person close to me who was sick and um, complaining about a stomach ache. And I, and I, I felt in, you know, and I was like, Oh yeah, you got bacteria here. And, (laughs) and, and almost right away I was like, Oh, I didn't say this, but you know, I was like, Oh, and you don't want me to fix this. Okay. That's fine. And so that feels like, you know, if I go into somebody and I'm and there's resistance there at a really deep level, it just feels like no. No. <laughs> and my son does this to me all the he doesn't do it so much anymore, but he used to do it when he was a baby, cut his tongue. And, you know, I was like, oh my God, I could totally fix that. Let me just help. And he was like, No, I'm doing this. And I, you know, like whatever. I don't know. So anyway, so he um you know, ended up in the getting an emergency appendectomy, and and all this stuff ensued. But later, I spoke with him about it, and he said, "You know, I was able to go to my boss and explain to him that the stress is really hurting me, hmm. and I need a raise, or I need different hours, or I need all of the above." And he got those things. So, you know, my taking away his bacteria was not what he was doing with that scenario. And I, and I'm okay with that. I do actually have now in my office I kind of have a yeah. Like I don't I don't really want to be and this is a family member so it's a bit muddier, but in my office I really ask that people who come to me actually come wanting what I have to give. Like I really love miracles. Mm-hmm. You know, I love it when people mm-hmm. come and they feel better finally. And, you know, if they're ready for that, then I'm totally ready to help them get there. Yeah. yeah. But. um. Wow. I mean, there's so much to unpack and all of that that you just said. I mean, from um, 
I tend to wonder a little bit about the sick role as well. You know, like there's, there's, there's a lot of people that. And right now, oh my gosh. I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to say that, but it's like, what, how is this serving you? Like, it's almost like people don't want to be safe. They don't want to realize that it's okay to just be outside. It's okay to hug your, your mom. Um, and, and I don't necessarily, I am going to ask you at the very end, what do you think is going on in the world? But, but since we're talking about it now, you know, I tend to wonder about like, how is it serving a person to be sitting at home, shielded from UV light, shielded from their neighbors and sitting on a computer all day long, heckling people on Facebook? How, like, how is that serving you? But it's not really my space to judge what, how that is serving you. Similar to the guy with appendicitis, like, no. This is a part of like this is my my path right now, and it's not really a place for me to judge. So, but but not but but not imposing that judgment on somebody who has let's say you're an oncologist, and let's say a patient goes to them and says, "No, I don't want to get chemo." That's the most confronting thing for an oncologist to hear because they give chemo in an effort <laughs> to fix cancer. So, like, it, it's like cannot compute. Like R two D 2s head starts spinning off, you know. But there is more to this, and it kind of goes back to what you said earlier about what is a person's story, where are they coming mm. from? Is this generational trauma? There was a uh, guy. Is it Waylon? Um, uh, your body keeps the score. One one of those. One of those. There's a been a couple books about trauma recently, and and without realizing that there's a preceding story or even a lineage, which is a compilation of stories that kind of leads you up to this point and then there's stories to come without knowing those stories and without appreciating that this is a journey that i am not on with you but if you'd like me to interact with your field in such a way that will help you get out of the way of your body's ability to heal Mm. and we can really start to do some magical things and i mean truly mean magical if 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 oncology is science and this is magic most of the time i'm going to take magic because yeah, because of the, the you know the, the nuances there between the, the two practices, but um, you had home births. Mm-hmm. You had a, you had a you have a I had a, you home, had a birth. home birth. Yeah. Carry at home. Uh, we just had a home birth, and um, yeah, I'm now, uh, reflecting on that with you, and um, you and Charles live in Rhode Island with Carrie, and uh, some of Charles' kids are very very close. Um, you've got this amazing neighbor. I met Ross, um, what's his last name? Newkirk, who, Newkirk, who reintroduced yeah. me to the work of, um, Masaru Emoto and his, his work with water oh, and all yeah. that. And for anybody out there who thinks this is totally woo woo, perhaps it is. I'm cool with that. I'm way out of the woo closet, but go and look at the secret life of water <laughs> and look at Masaru Emoto's work with how water crystallizes and how water structures itself whenever it's given intentions like hate versus love and and just explore that world a little bit because what Stella is talking about here is not it's not as abstract as you think and in many many ways when you get really really sick and you sit at home and you just think about your illness and you just are asking the body about where it's at and you're checking in with your body and you actually have slowed down you know that it makes you better you know that it feels better to just be cuddled up on the couch and just to be thinking about how hot your body is and you have your hands on your belly you've got belly aches you've got the joint pains and and you start to get better there's a part of this that you do every single day without realizing it because it's what keeps yeah. you going so i don't want anybody I, I don't want you to throw the baby out with the bathwater i just want this to be a gentle exploration for anybody out there who's like bullshit it's not this is we are not talking about 
Harry Potter. We are, although we are kind of actually talking about Harry Potter, but (laughs) but what we what we really are talking about is your body. If you're listening, you have the capacity to heal. Your body knows how to to keep being a body, and your your spirit knows how to keep being a spirit. And all of these subtle bodies are at play there. If you can just slow down, pay attention, and get out of the way, and stop adding crappy toxic stuff that's making it making it harder. Um, so n- having said all of that, Stella, there's a lot going on in the world. I know that we're running out of time here on this, this, um, interview, but given everything that you've experienced in your life, you've, I feel like you've, you've experienced a lot of richness and it's, it's as a healer, it's as a wife, it's as a mother, it's as a daughter. I mean, you have just really embraced life. Now that you see what's happening in the world at large, what's your, what's your interpretation so I, I think somehow it kind of plays into everything we've talked about. What What is going on and where do you see things going? <clears throat> um, I think I'm going to actually touch on all of those things there, um, all the things that we've been touching on throughout this whole conversation. Um, I think we're in an initiation. Mm-hmm. I think that we are, we are sick. I think that we are making up, we are motes of consciousness that are making up a big experience of being sick together. Mm-hmm. And um, like you'll notice, I mean, the pandemic has meant, and you know, our individual experiences of it have, have been individual, you know, like radically individual. Um, mm-hmm. But there was for, you know, initially there was this great pause, you know, where we did exactly what you're, you're, you're noting that people do naturally on a couch. They kind of stop, they go inward, they start to notice what's happening. They start to notice what's coming up, you know, and they, they have two choices then they could either fight what's coming up, you know, or they could allow it. And, and it's not always easy to have the courage to just allow it, you know? Um, Mm. but that ultimately is what's required here, right? Like we are, we are in the midst of change and we are changing and how gracefully we can, you know, move into embracing change will, will mark how quickly we get better essentially. Um, I, I'm a, I'm afraid actually we haven't even gotten into the big meat Mm. of the thing, right? Like Mm. we, we are still, I think it's just dawning on us now that, um, like if the initiation is about fear and fear of death and we could be dying, like I I think if you pull back and you look at this on the level of, of Gaia, of, of earth, of the consciousness of the earth, I think Gaia is realizing, holy crap, I'm in a crisis. This is a crisis. Mm. This is a crisis point. And um, I could die. Mm. Mm. Right? Like, think about what it must be like to be Gaia, considering what's happening to her forests in Brazil, you know, or the, to, to her oceans. Like, the amount of plastic in the oceans. Like, she's dying. And she is, and we are, we are 
collectively making up the consciousness that is coming to realize that. Mm. So, you know, we all have individual stories and pieces of, about all of that. And, but I think, you know, the way through is to accept death, right? Like this is kind of what, I mean, it certainly was my way through, right? I had this like incredible moment uh, when I had cancer and I was processing my liver, you know, and I, my liver was a mess, you know, it was like, it was just, it was, and I did, I had phlegm coming out of my ears practically. I mean, it was just disgusting, but um, I had this moment where I just sorted through all of my fears about leaving Carrie, because I didn't have a ton of fears about leaving my own life, but I, it was desperately hard to think about leaving Carrie. And that took weeks for me to kind of sort through thinking about like, well, what would happen if he went with Molly? Well, what would happen if he went with Pam? Well, what would happen if it was chart? Mm -hmm. Like it was hard. Um, and I finally really came deeply to this trust that no matter what happens to him, he will be okay. I can't know what he needs, what he came here to do in this lifetime. I don't know what tools he needs in order to navigate going forwards. I can't say what will, obviously I have this preference to be here and to support him, but, but maybe that's not what he needs. And I don't know. And once I made, once I got clear with that, it was such a relief. Every cell in my body was just clear like, yeah, we're just going to do whatever. Mm. We're just going to do whatever is called for. And I, I literally said a prayer, you know, I'm at your service. Wow. I'm at your service. Whatever it is that we're going to do, let's just do it. It's still hard to think about leaving Carrie, you know, but it doesn't change the fact that I know that I don't know <laughs> what he needs. And so when I got there, I, I noticed, holy moly, my parasympathetic nervous system just shifted in. That's the healing response. <laughs> so it was like, as soon as I got square so, with so death, the healing response yeah. kicked in. And surrender. You know, surrender. Yeah. I'm not fighting my dying. And as you know, I'm a hospice. And I, so I think collectively, this is where we're, this is what we have to get yeah. to. We have to actually come to this place where we say, we are all going to die. The planet might die. And the only way through is to accept that and then act responsibly, you know, like whatever that is, whatever that means to you, which, you know, I personally feel like, you know, there's an alignment with the natural rhythms that needs to happen that isn't happening now. Right now we're doing everything we can to control this outcome. Right. <laughs> we're, you know, we're injecting babies in order to control yeah. this outcome. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's not where my leanings lie, but, but ultimately, like, I think collectively we have to come to terms with death and we have to make choices about it without fear we can't find healing if we're in fear mode mm. yeah yeah you. i mean i don't know uh, you know it's um it's such a it's 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 
such a huge shift that's happening on the planet right now. And for me to be one, one little point of, you know, intelligence in this vast sea of intelligences, I, I, I offer that interpretation really humbly anyway. I don't know, ultimately. Well, there's some, there's some wisdom, though, in, in just saying, I don't know. I mean, already there's a surrender there. And yeah. if more of us would be willing to say, I don't know, but I know that I see sickness. And I'm not talking about people on ventilators, COVID. I see sickness on a societal level. For me, the COVID thing, of course, like you, is a downstream consequence of a greater problem. Donald Trump, a downstream consequence. I'd even argue Joe Biden, a downstream consequence of some bigger problem. But the way that it's presented to us is that we have a binary decision here to be made. And there's no binary decision about healing, about healing Mother Earth. Like, it, it's not even really a relevant question. How do we heal Mother right. Earth? That's not the question. The question right. is, can we be okay with the fact that Mother Earth may be dying? Right. And if we can, if we can't be okay with that, then we're never going to get anywhere. We just keep running our head into the wall because our systems right. of control don't serve us if we can't, you know, honor and acknowledge the fact that we are dying. Yeah. And 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 I actually think that the the example of parasites is pertinent here. So one of the one of the things that I think about if somebody comes in with anxiety as a symptom, I always think about parasites. It's like you subconsciously know that there's something wrong. Like your own response, I kind of always thought I had parasites. Like we know, you know, it's like our subconscious minds know that there's a problem going on with earth. And our response is to, you know, obfuscate, obfus mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm, right, you know, right. let's get busy. We, we need, I know. I'm, you know, this is an anxiety state. Like I, you know, do, 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 we got to fix do, do, this. Do, do. We got to fix yeah. this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Instead of, <clears throat> I think, you know, hold what's happening in with attention and allowance and step back and get out of the way and let, I mean, I, I, I sort of have this fantasy that, um, in the same way that our bodies heal, we will, we could adopt an understanding about how our bodies heal or my understanding, I should say. <laughs> we should, everybody should adopt my understanding of how the body heals <laughs> you're, you're, and apply it to the globe. You're, you're my write-in candidate on the, at the next election. Yeah, she said it. She said it, guys. Yeah, got my vote. <laughs> but like, you know, it's kind of, it's the holacracy model, right? It's like it's, let's empower local communities. Uh, in every way, let's empower them to make their own decisions about how they want to control their borders. You know, let's empower communities to collectively make their own decisions about how they want to deal with pharmaceuticals. Let's collectively empower, let's, you know, and so that, you know, we can have all solutions, like whatever works for you, we could have that. But, you know, there's, there's boundary and fairness um, at a local level instead of these hierarchical top-down dictums that come and dis disrupt, you know, like simply don't empower healing 
doesn't empower relationships, simply, connection, healing, yep. call it what you will. Yeah. I mean, they, they're all yep. part of the same um, missing piece when, in, you know, in our logic games, right, is to, you know, Charles always brings up like the carbon emissions, right? Like, yeah, sure. Let's try to control carbon emissions. Let's apply these exactly. models to this same problem that we've been banging our head against when the, <sighs> the problem is not reducing carbon emissions. The problem is right here. Right, right here is where the problem is. The way that I... Right. So same exact thing. Yeah. Same exact yeah. thing. So so we can either dictate from on high that we should, uh, you know, like get rid of carbon or like in terms of the body level, we should be happy. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and then instead of like dropping your attention down, you know, into individual communities and letting them come up with solutions that that like meet carbon metrics if you want to, if that's pertinent, you know, but attend to cleaning up the water, attending to making sure your forests are healthy, attending to making sure your children are, you know, safe and well and, you know, playing together and attending, like there's so many other, there's so much that makes up health. And if we try and do it from a top-down model, we get the same solutions we get when we, like sometimes it works, you know, Allopathy works for a lot of people, for a lot of things, at least, you know, at a physical level, if not a soul level, sometimes on a soul level too. I'm not knocking any of these solutions. I'm just saying that they, there's a different model and we need to start using it. Yeah. There's a different model of medicine that is waiting, that is here and waiting to be born, you know, and waiting to come into greater consciousness. Yeah. It's, it's ultimately about allowing allowing sovereignty for all the different parts it's just for me it's just less control stella it's like 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 yeah like, less like control just be willing to acknowledge the beauty in being alive and realizing that controlling every element of my body of my community of my car of everything else is not it hasn't been leading to the to a better outcome is yeah. there a better way to do this and and um we are all like that thing that you're describing, this new phase 2.0 or 10.0, whatever iteration we're on of our society. Like we are entering a space where it's okay to acknowledge that our systems of control are potentially detrimental, sort of like adding the additional chemicals to the field. You get good yields at first. And now that we've, we've, we've wrestled with adding GMOs now, we are left with food that is no longer even food, right? So I, I feel like people are really resonating with what you're saying on a very deep personal level. And um, and we're not really, we don't really have a choice. It's really yeah. not our vote anymore. The right. stuff that we've been doing hasn't been working. And it's time for right. a new paradigm. And I'm I'm very grateful to be in this space with you and um, having got to know you, you know, just gotten to know you and Charles on a personal level has really made me feel a little bit less hopeless and mm. a little bit less isolated. Um, mm. As a as a medical doctor, people don't really jive with this because it's confronting to the entire paradigm of the practice of of quote Western medicine and yeah and um. And we have to be willing to say that that paradigm is dying. It's still good for some things. Yeah. But um, we have to be willing to 
acknowledge that before we can realize this new, this new, perhaps better iteration of what we've been doing. Have you encountered Cynthia Lee's work, Brave New Medicine? Yeah, you, you, um, did I recommend that you to you? You've given me a copy, actually. Did I? If you didn't, I at least have it on my Amazon list now. So it's on the list. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's an example of a medical doctor who um, does a really good job of ex of explaining how she got to the place of being kind of this hubristic mm. doctor who pretty much felt like she kind of knew what was what and all the idiots out there didn't know. Mm. She's very humble. Um, and her coming smack, you know, smacking into, you know, the problem with that place when she got sick herself and realized that she, if the, if she came to herself as a doctor, she would have presumed that she was crazy. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. And kind of written her off in the way that sometimes happens. Um, and ultimately argues for a much more individualized form of medicine that includes an understanding of the art of medicine. Right. I'm really a fan of her work. I'm going to read her book. I have yeah. it on the list. People keep sending me book titles. Get on your and podcast. Got, yeah, if she's if she's um, if she's willing, maybe you do you have a are you connected with her? I don't. I'm not connected with her personally, but I um, I think I did hear. I think I might know somebody who is connected with her. So um, well, you're the president of her you know. fan club on Facebook, so maybe that gives you some pull. <laughs> 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 um, I should be. <laughs> She should be. She should be giving you some commissions. Or something. I I should be because I feel so burned by so many MDs. I mean, I had so many experience, personal experiences with. You know, I, I didn't intend to go into alternative medicine. I certainly didn't intend to go into the world of wackadoo. But here we are. <laughs> Welcome. Here's your seat next to mine. <laughs> I know. I know. Put on this cape. <laughs> no. I mean, actually, actually, the and then the most comforting, comforting thing about it all is to realize that, oh, my God, this is not wackadoo. This is like tried and true medicine of ancient times. You know, like we have actually known about this stuff forever and ever. It's only in the short sightedness of Western, you know, self-inflation that we have that we don't even know this stuff exists. Well, that and like in Chinese medicine, you know, Mao cut out all the all the soul all the aspects of the soul attempting to become more like like what's taught as traditional chinese medicine in the schools is is meant to be stripped of the soul yeah, yeah. i was lucky enough to study um you know the fuller version uh, through jeffrey ewan and and yvonne farrell but but most people you know don't have access to that and you know allopathy too like i I'm, the tradition of healing that allopathy comes out of was originally alchemical, mm -hmm. which is what we're talking about. Right. We're talking about alchemy. Right. Right. Working in the field is, alchem uh, is alchemy. That's exactly. That's alchemy. That's what even Paulo Coelho, the, the alchemist, like, yeah, is absolutely yeah. talking about this stuff. And yes, it's a fictional book, but it's an allegory for the greater space of, of, of what, you know the wizard behind the curtain, so to speak. <laughs> you know, and then, and, and, and like the secret of alchemy is that 
because you know it was presented to me anyway and and I think we all kind of or grew up with sort of this disdain for such things or like this belief that like like these are woo right, right? right. um and the the secret about alchemy is that you actually turn lead into gold right like like you actually take trauma and transform it into healing so this like like we're so far removed from that possibility that we have to call it a miracle mm-hmm. because it's there's no there we have no explanation for it well it's kind of bullshit yeah. that we have no explanation right. for it we have explanations we just discount them for some i don't know why i mean i don't even know why it's it's like it's like almost like my work, what my work is doing is just trying to like reweave the fabric. It's already there. We know about all of this. Even in the eighties, we knew more than we do today. You know, like you, you go and read Christiane Northrup's book, you know, the, our, the women's book, that's, that is a profound book of, you know, she has woven together important information and we just, or, you know, all the other, I feel like in the eighties and nineties, we knew more about the connection between body mind than we do now. And it's just, it's shocking. It's shocking that, although I think necessary maybe, but it's shocking that we've given up so much of our, like there's so much science there and there's so much understanding about it in other modalities, but the medical profession has just siloed its thinking into this pharmaceutical model. Why? Why? It hasn't done them any good. They're losing. They're like hemorrhaging people that believe in that paradigm. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. growing distrust. And I'll tell you exactly why. I'll tell you exactly why. I don't know if I've shared this with you before, but my theory about medical education is, and this goes back to Ivan Illich. Uh, Charles and I have, have kind of yeah, Ivan Illich, yeah. about Illich. Um, when you go into school, right, you're the best student test taker in high school right so you you, yeah. you get rewarded with more school and then you get rewarded with more school and then you get rewarded with residency and then fellowship and blah 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 blah. well you end up in a room where all the people that you hang out with on a daily basis are those people who have been rewarded for staying in the lines <laughs> right you're not rewarded for critical thinking because that's more circular it's right. non-linear and our education system absolutely only incentivizes linear thinking Identify the yeah. problem and then remember all the tools you had. Pick the tool that fixes that problem. Bam, perfect score. And then of the people that get the question right, they move on. And there's a more challenging linear thinking problem, yep. right? And so, so, yep. so basically, the people that are are our physicians, our surgeons, etc., especially in the United States, as it's practiced here, they have actually been. We've sort of narrowed that 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 group of people that wanted to be healers down to those people who can just stay in the lines. It goes back to like coloring your, in a coloring book. If you can stay in yeah. the lines, then you're great. But if you, if you start drawing extra appendages to the monster on the coloring book, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, you're not, you're not doing what the task was. Right. And unfortunately these are very, very intelligent people. There's no doubt. These are smart people, but they've, been habituated to a system that incentivizes only staying in the lines as opposed to wondering, hey, this Stella woman has had these profound experiences. This guy over here is doing this funny work with water and all that other stuff. Why not investigate that? Because you're not incentivized to do so. And I don't mean financially as part of it, but it's really like their identity is tied to having the answer 
based on this basic algorithm of find the problem, match it up with the right cure, bam. And if you... Yeah. And, you know, that method is brilliant for certain things, for certain right? Things. You, That's you right. have a triage situation. You want that kind of a thinker. Right. right. Sepsis. Or you want, sepsis, or you want a brilliant intuitive. Yeah. Like if you're in a car accident <laughs> and you've got like a shard of glass through your femur, you probably need somebody who knows how to remove that safely. I'm not, I'm not disparaging people right. who are going into medicine, but what I'm saying is that if we are going to go to the Western medical doctor for every problem under the sun, including all of the work that actually needs right. to be Right. That's yeah, where. That's where you, you, you're, you're limited. So. That's, yeah. And that's really the issue. You know, it's, it's like you don't actually, Western medicine shouldn't have a monopoly on all of medicine. <laughs> right. It should, certainly has no business trying to treat chronic, meta, right. chronic right. issues. It's not what it was designed to do. Yet we're still pumping pharmaceutical dollars into the system, knowing that it's not helping anybody, you know? Yeah. And this is not like conspiracy theory. Like this is all out in the open. This is just what the system we've designed that we've been paying annual premiums into for years has done the thing we've asked it to do. Absolutely. And, oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm not even, I mean, yeah, I'm not even as much of a conspiracy theorist as I probably seem, but I, I, yeah, the, uh, it's really helped me. And actually this is what is so great about Wenzel's book. Wenzel's book is very science minded. Um, and he has a really deep grounding in meditation. The, tiger, uh, uh, the sequence oh, of the latent sequence truths. Of latent Jeez, that, that title is brilliant. Okay. So, yeah, cause I actually really appreciate the, um, logical framework. I, I feel like when we have a logical framework for these woo things and we can actually trust a lot more. We can get to a place of trust a lot more. So, um, so being able to kind of think through, I mean, some of these things feel true to me and, you know, I can't say that I've read the science behind them, but, you know, I've known since I was a child that there is, um, you know, some sort of a field around us that is, that we can access, we can access the information in, in ways other than you know, just the thinking logical part, you can feel things. Mm -hmm. Um, for instance, like that whole intelligence, the whole intelligence of the felt sense, like, why is that not? I mean, I think actually doctors use this all the time. I, when I started realizing what I was doing, cause you know, I just am who I am and I, and I started doing medicine and I started using these skills and, you know, I just muddled my way through. But then I re when I started to realize what I was doing and starting putting language around it, I went back and looked at my dad and I was like, oh my God, the dude's an intuitive. Like you, you'd never guess, but he actually go, you know, he used to go into his patient room and he used to figure he was not using logic. Yeah, he yeah, was using his yeah. felt sense. And I think a lot of doctors do. And I, I have a great NP here in town and she, she's really most impressed by the doctors that she knows that cultivate their intuition. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. oh my God, you know, being able to go into an assessment and knowing, just looking at the person and knowing what's wrong with them. This is actually the brilliance of, of traditional Chinese medicine. You know, they teach you how to, to hone that skill. So you get these, you know, doctors that have been Chinese doctors that have been practicing for 30, 40 years, and they can look, they can look at you and just see what's going on with you. That's partly because of the way TCM teaches you to um, assess by looking at skin tone and, you know, 
tongue and feeling the pulse and just like these subtle, subtle clues that, you know, can add up to a pattern of disease that you can recognize. And, um, you know, that seems like magic. That seems like a miracle. Sometimes it is, but, um, yeah, this one story of a, a woman I knew that had 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 gone through like four livers. She'd had like four liver transplants and she walked into an acupuncturist office and the dude came out from the other room going heat, 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 you know, with his hands out in front of him leading towards her liver. Wow. And yeah, as a matter of fact, heat. (laughs) (laughs) She, she derided him as a kook, of course. You know, it just came to mind, and I, I know we're kind of we've got to wrap it up here because you've got a client coming. But um, oh my God, yeah, when, I do. When I, um, when I was uh, training as an OBGYN, I started realizing, you know, and I've talked to you about this. Of course, you know, my practice is very much hands off. But what I came to realize is that even when I, I finished my training, you know, you have good things, bad things happen when you're training. It's the practice of of medicine. But then when I was out on my own, I haven't had a single bad outcome. Knock on wood, and um, that's that's in part because I think I sat in just held space for birth so much that I started realizing Mm. subtle energetic patterns of when things were okay and when things weren't okay. Mm. So with all the technology we implement in the hospital system, all these interventions in birth, like fetal heart rate tracing is one of those unvalidated things that we put up on every body. And we think that we can glean some really good information. And apart from a couple little tells on those tracings, like it's not all that useful. So, um, a lot of nurses would say, hey, you know, they'd call me in my call room. I'm, I'm attending at this point. I'm in San Diego. Like, hey, we're a little bit concerned about this baby. I'll go in and just spend like a couple minutes with her. Like, everything's okay. And you just leave it. But you know what that is? So I just, I learned about this from Wenzel's book. There's something called the attention lag. So meditators who they tested like, you know, um, the two groups. So the control group is... Uh, reading or seeing um, icons, like just little bits of information coming through, let's say on a screen at a certain interval. And the um, after they identify one, there's a lag between, there's a lag before they can identify the next one. So let's say, you know, 10 go by and they pick up the third then they'll skip the fourth and fifth before they can see the six. Like they can't, they literally can't see the two that come in between. But meditators have a shorter attention lag. So, and, and, and I would argue that that is because they are, when you are listening, when you are still, when you're able to still your mind and listen, you glean more information from the field. Mm. So if you go into a patient and you can activate a felt sense of listening or you can activate resonant attention, what's actually happening here? You turn off your logical thinking mind, which is actually just a noisemaker, and you rest in silence and you get more information in, of course. Right, right, right. Yeah. And all of the technology in the world wouldn't have given me that information. And and I'm not I'm not that's saying right. I'm clairvoyant. I'm uh, maybe that's what clairvoyant is. And so I'm not like tooting my horn. But what I am saying is that when when you when you're actually still and you're just patient, 
you'll get information that I don't know how I got it, but I'm just telling you that kiddo's fine. That kiddo, despite their tracing looking bad, I, I'm worried about. Let's let's start yep. talking about maybe moving towards C-section or whatever else. So it works both ways, but there's a... I, again, I don't even have the language to describe it, but but um, that has that dramatically changes your practice if you're a physician, if you're a chiropractor, if you're a physical therapist or whatever, and you're stuck in the physical, and you realize that all of this information is helpful, but there's a lot more information to be gleaned if we can just be patient and still with the people that were there to heal. Heal. There's there's a lot more information Absolutely. To, to take from the field. So. Well, Stella, thank you so much. I know I, I, I want to be able to wrap this up so that you can go see your client here in a few minutes. Um, how can people find you um, and connect with you? I'll, I'll put all of the links we've talked about in the show notes, including any contact information you can provide. Yeah, so my regular website is stellaosorojos.wordpress.com. And then uh, they can also sign up for my for a free email that tells about upcoming classes in resonant attention and that's at resonantattention.substack.com. So that's great. Those are the best ways. Yeah. Well, I hope everybody checks you out. Um, Stella, I'm so grateful to be friends with you and to have your mentorship. Me too. I'm, um, I'm taking your resident attention class now that you've been offering. And um, although I'm a little bit behind because we just had a baby surprise, but (laughs) I know. Um, And, uh, but I'm so grateful. Do you have a name yet? Everly Rosa. Oh, beautiful. One little tidbit I'll share with you is that we did this breath work called Effigy Breathwork. Um, she yeah. water broke at five. We called our friend Sarah over who moder- moderates this this breathing. And we breathed. It's like a <gasps> very intense. And you actually get your hands, like this energy comes out through your hands and through your feet and through your mouth, like to the point where you become like almost contracted in this very weird position within about 20 minutes. And at the 40 minute mark, Stephanie felt something changing, asked Sarah to leave, which she graciously did. The midwife was there with her team and Sarah left at 641. So we started breathing around six. Sarah left at 641. The baby came at 646. The baby's head wasn't even conical and it was about a pound bigger than Penny, our first kiddo. So there was something in this process that she literally opened up the portal and the baby just came out. And I mean, I'm sure it was still I'm sure it was hard for her, but she described this as very different from the first birth. And, you know, so we'll, we'll leave it at that for now, but I I can, I'm getting chills. It was amazing. It was the most beautiful birth I've ever been to. And I know it was mine, but like, this was an unusual (laughs) experience to say the least with as many births I've been to. So anyways, I'm, uh, I'm grateful to have been able to spend some time with you today and, uh, yeah, me too. Very soon. Great. Thanks so much, Nathan. Lots of love. Likewise. I've got some of the coolest friends around. Stella Eisenstein and her husband Charles are becoming quick friends in this space, and I feel so honored for her to have come on the show, given some of her time, and graced us with some incredible stuff. I really hope you check out her work. Um, Also check out Waveblock at waveblock.com. Code Beloved will get you 10% off your first set of EMF mitigating stickers for your Bluetooth earbuds. And like I said, they're also going to be launching stickers for the back of your cell phones. So please check them out. Can't do this show without our sponsors. If you'd like to support the show, go to holisticobgwanpod.com. 
My practice website is belovedholistics.com. You'll find a wealth of additional cool stuff on both websites, including the show notes and the notes and references from this episode as well. So we will see you next time on the Holistic OBGYN. I wish you all well. And with great gratitude, we'll see you next time.